Our scripture reading this morning is from Acts chapter 20, and it's actually going to be the uh, text that we hear from JP on this morning as well. So I hear these words. This is Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 17. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and inflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you, none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and they kissed him, being sorrowful sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. This is God's word. I don't really have to tell you this. It's a pretty obvious fact, but each and every one of us has opinions and we have opinions about Lots and lots of different things and uh, a lot of times those opinions and those thoughts about those things come out Especially in an election year as we come up on an election this week and everybody's got a different opinion and and how things can be fixed or how things can be better or how they'll Go or whatever they'll be and and everybody starts to pop up and we listen to the news and politicians and everybody's got all their different ideas and thoughts and it doesn't even really have to be about politics or anything uh, like that. Uh, You can just go and uh, watch a football game with a friend. Uh, You watch someone who's an avid football fan of their team and they have an opinion about the coach. 
and the players and what plays should be run. And it doesn't even matter if they really know what they're talking about or not. And I would include myself in that category. Um, suddenly, I know more than the coach knows when things go wrong. And so uh, that's kind of the way we are. We all have different opinions about different things. And uh, you can go into any bookstore and you start to see all the different books and all the worldly wisdom and all the opinions of man and you get all these different things on how to live a great life and how to turn things around in 90 days or or whatever it may be but but sadly when you start to look at those books as you go in the bookstore you start to listen to what those on tv are saying and all those things and and what starts to become real clear very sadly is what gets passed off as is great insight has very little to nothing to do with actually how jesus lived and taught and what he's commanded us to do And so I was thinking about that this week, that that here, if you look at Jesus's life and look at who he did and from a worldly view of who he is, this this man that only lived for 33 years and was from a nothing town in the Middle East and was a carpenter and died with a lot of his followers scattered and all these things. And yet uh, here we are gathered together under his name to meet and to worship him. And so you start to think about, well, how is that? And. And you can see why the world passes by what Jesus says a lot of times and doesn't pay attention. But uh, I was thinking about this idea and uh, there was a quote in your uh, bulletin a couple weeks ago. And maybe you remember it. Maybe you read it. Uh, We often put different quotes in there just for our reflection and to be thinking about what we'll be talking about. And there was one from Napoleon Bonaparte. And he actually he says this. And maybe you remember reading this a couple weeks ago when we were in the Gospels. And it says, I know men and I tell you that Jesus Christ is no mere man. Between him and every other person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I have founded empires, but on what did we rest the creation of our genius? Upon force. Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love, and at this hour, millions of men would die for him. And so as we think about that quote and what he says, and as I was thinking about that this morning, the reason that the greatest revolutionary ever was a man who had no army, who had no power in the earthly sense that we would think of as a as a political leader. And yet here we are uh, gathered in his name. And simply the reason is Napoleon's right. He was no mere man. Jesus is God, the son of God come to us. Come to do what we could never do for us. And so as we think about uh, how is that possible? How is it that there's two billion people on the planet right now that would claim Jesus Christ, whether that's a true number or not? There's two billion people that would say that, that would associate themselves with Jesus Christ. And so I want us to think about how that's possible You know, last week, Chris took us through Acts 1 and 2, and we talked about how the the church went from just a few followers, scared, scattered, not really sure what to do, to the coming of the Holy Spirit. And they go out and empower, and they begin to just uh, proclaim God's word, and we see it spread, and the church takes off. And you go from one chapter, 120, to a few chapters later, there's thousands upon thousands And it's growing. And what Chris pointed out to us in Acts 1 and 2, and he said rightly last week, is it's the coming of the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus isn't a mere man, and because he's God, he comes. And when he dies, he lives the perfect life, and then he dies, and then he's resurrected. And then he says, now I'm going to give you my very spirit. And he does. And so as 
we become Christians, we get God's spirit dwelling inside of us. And that's how the church begins to grow. God's spirit moving and in ways that you couldn't believe. And so as we talked about that last week and we saw that in Acts 1 and 2, that's absolutely right. But today, as we move into Acts 20, what I want us to do is kind of follow up with that. And then to say this, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, when we're following God's leading and his spirit working in us, what does that look like? And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at Acts 20 and what Paul's telling to the elders in Ephesus, the church leaders, as he's saying goodbye to them and he's telling them, he's telling them what to do and what it looks like and how this has gone out and how this is happening. And so in a lot of ways, this isn't, uh, it's not completely comprehensive of the way the Holy Spirit works, but it gives us some real clear marks of what happens when we start to yield to the Holy Spirit and God's power starts to go out. And so we're going to do that by looking at Acts 20 today. And that's really the, the question overall that we're doing. What does it look like when we as a body of believers start to yield to the Holy Spirit? When we are filled with where he's going and what God's doing and where he's moving. And so we're just going to work through four things. But before we do, let's pray. And then we'll just look at those four things that jump out here and what Paul says. So let's pray before we do that. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you. For your spirit, we know that uh, without that, we are hopelessly lost, that that is the, the engine that drives everything, your spirit moving in and among us. So we ask that you would move here today, that you would open our hearts and our minds to understand your word, to see it clearly, to follow you in obedience wherever you're moving. And so we just ask that you'd be in this place and you'd open our eyes to see who you are and what you're doing and, and how we're to follow you. We thank you. For all you've done for us, and we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. So here's, we're going to just say, work through four things as we go through here uh, this morning. And the first thing I want you to look at is in verse 20 and 21. And we're going to see these as Paul's addressing these leaders, as he's saying goodbye to them, what he's telling them, what he's reminding them. And so look at what he says in verse 20 and 21. He says, he's telling them, I've been with you. And he says, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable And teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And then look at verse 24 and he says, but I did not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Of God, And so as we think about the very first thing it looks like to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to be following him where he's leading and what Paul says so clearly here is we are called to testify or to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's the very first thing that we see here that we're supposed to speak and tell people what Jesus is done and to go forth and, and, and that word that Paul uses, he uses it a couple times here that we are to testify of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want us just to think about that for a second, what that exactly means to proclaim or declare, to testify. And and essentially what that means is an emphatic affirmation of what Jesus has done, that we're to go forth and tell people what Jesus has done. And if, if you put your faith in Christ and you, you see him for who he is, and you've now have the received the Holy spirit in you and you know what God has done for you, then, then this makes perfect sense. 
You've got to go out and tell people the emphatic affirmation of what's happening. Go forth and begin to say and to tell. And so that's what we see Paul seeing here and, and saying here. And, and as we say that and as we often do, we, we try to every single week. We, do, we just need to stop and think about what that means. Sometimes we'll say, well, go forth and proclaim. Tell your testimony. And yes, telling your testimony is wonderful and it's great. But we want to make sure when we say that, telling our testimony is not the fullness of the gospel. We want to make sure that we understand we say proclaim the gospel. We're talking about that God entered into the world and he lived the life that we couldn't live and died the death we should have died. And he took our sins on himself and he paid for it for us. And now through faith, he offers it as a free gift. And see, oftentimes we'll say, well, my testimony and we'll say, well, God did this wonderful thing and everything's better. And now I'm great. And we leave the part out about our sin and what Jesus has done and how he's done that, because that is the heart of the gospel. And so we just want to be real clear that we make sure that that's what we're talking about, of what Jesus came and did for us and that we accept by faith. And it's a free gift. And so when we talk about proclaiming the gospel, that's what we're talking about, that Jesus has defeated sin and death. And he's restored us. He's opened the way to God by faith alone and what he's done. And so that first step is just just speaking the gospel and proclaiming the truth of of how God works and what he's done. And so when we start to think about that's the way that things change, that's the way things happen. That's the wisdom of God. That's foolishness to men. But God says that's how it works. And so I want you to think about just the Bible and what it says and how that builds up perfectly with everything scripture says that that God creates by his word. Right. Genesis one in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and he said, let there be light. And what happens? There's light. See, when God speaks and his word goes out, things happen. It's the way God works. And so God changes and does things through his word. You see that in the beginning of John's gospel and in John one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and nothing was made apart from the word. And it's talking about Jesus and God's word. And as it goes out and that's the way God creates. But as you read further on in John one and you start to get into the gospel, it becomes clear. Not only is that the way God creates, it's the way he redeems and the way he recreates and the way he regenerates that Jesus comes in and he's the light in the darkness. And God says, you hold to my word and you clearly proclaim. And so when you read through Acts, you see this over and over that they go out full of the Holy Spirit, excited about who God is, this emphatic information. And then they clearly speak the gospel and things happen. Just by speaking the truth of of who God is and what his word says. And so you even see that in Romans chapter 10. You know, Romans chapter 9 is probably the greatest chapter in the Bible of God's sovereignty and how clear God is sovereign over all things. And then you get to Romans 10 and Paul talks about going out and spreading the word and telling. He says this in, in verse 14 of chapter 10. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? It it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And so what Paul says is the way things change and the way people hear those that don't know Christ now know Christ as you go forth and you proclaim the word. You testify about who Jesus is and what he's done. And so the first thing when we talk about what it looks like 
to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to see God moving and to see things changing is people who know God, who've met him in Christ and are now in him and their spirits moving in them as they go forth and they tell. They proclaim it. They say, this is what's happened and this is what God's done. And so that's the first thing that we go forth, we proclaim or we testify of who Jesus is. And then the second thing I want you to see in verse 18 in 19, the second part of this, when we start to become filled with the spirit and we're moving and we're following God's lead. And it says in verse 18 or even start in verse 17 there just for the context here. So so now Paul calls together the elders of the church to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plot of the Jews. And so what you see there right at the beginning is Paul tells us that as, as you see Paul going out, probably the greatest evangelist that ever lived, he goes out and he's proclaiming and he's telling. And then he says, he shows us, he says, and I lived among you. I was with you and I spent time with you and I was around you and, and with humility and through tears and through trials. And I was there with you all the way walking in step with you. And so when we start to think about what it means, it means proclaiming and testifying, but it also means living together and helping each other and being uh, a community and starting to do those things. And you start to think about why that's the case. And I want you to just think about what Jesus says right before uh, the night before he dies. It's actually in John chapter 13. Jesus tells them, he says, now this is how people are going to know you're my disciples. This is how you'll know. You probably know this very famous passage. Jesus says a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And by this, people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Same thing, Paul's you seeing with Paul. I lived among you and I was with you and through tears and trials, we were together and I was right there and you see my love for you. That's what Paul's telling them and reminding them. And so I want you just to think about that. If we're filled with the Holy Spirit and, and Jesus says that people will know us by our love for one another, can you do that on your own? You cannot. You can't do that. We cannot fulfill what Jesus says, how people will know we're his followers if we're trying to do it by ourselves. Because he says they'll know us by the way we love each other. And so sometimes that's very hard to hear depending on your personality. If you're a more kind of introverted person and you're kind of good on your own, you go, ugh, this getting around to other people kind of thing. I, I tend towards that, so I feel that a little bit sometimes. That's easy to slide into that, and, and I don't really, oh. And, and so my question, my, my answer to that would just be, uh, that's not the way you were made. You weren't made to just be on your own. You weren't made to shrink back just by yourself. And the reason I say that, and I feel confident in saying that, is Genesis 2.18. There's one thing in Scripture that God says is not good before the fall. In Genesis 2.18, he tells us, he says, it is not good that man should be alone, so I will make a helper fit for him. Right? That's before the fall. That's before sin enters. God says, he looks at all his creation. And there's one thing that he says, well, this is not good. Man needs another person. We need more people. We need relationship. And I want you to think about why that's the case. We actually hit on that in one of the videos we were watching in Sunday school this morning. The reason is because God himself is the triune, the Trinity God in and of himself. He's in perfect relationship and he made us to be in his image. 
So we were made to be in relationship, to reflect back who God is. And so we're made to be around other people. And when we begin to uh, put our faith in Christ and we've now been redeemed and our relationship is restored with God. We talked about Chris hit on this a little bit last week. We're start to turn inside out because sin is selfishness, inward focus. It's all about me. And when we are made new in Christ and the Holy Spirit comes in, he starts to turn us out and we start to love other people and look to do and love others. That's what Jesus says there in, in John 13. The, the commandment I give you is just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. And how did Jesus love us? He loved us by sacrificial serving, caring for others, putting others first. And so that's the picture that happens when the Holy Spirit comes in. We start to be turned out and we start to love one another and care for one another. And we see that. And Jesus says, that's how people will know that you're my followers. I was thinking about that this week and I kept coming back to this, this poem. Really, it's, it's actually a song and a po- I think it was a poem first by this, by this man. His name's, his name's Dan Smith and he's a believer and he's from, he's actually from Georgia. And when you hear him talk, he's got this really, really thick southern accent but he has a song called building better bridges it's actually a poem that he then put to music but it says we're going to hold each other's hands and lives and let us push our hearts together we're going to leave these shores right now and we're going to be everything we've never been but you got to swear to promise that we'll never go back again ever again and we're not just islands lying beside each other's shorelines we're all bound with veins and hopes and we're not each other's ghosts Our hearts are a bridge, so let's build bridges to each other so this river won't take us under. And so he has this beautiful picture of what it means that we're not islands working and and, and going along separately next to each other. He says, no, we're all intertwined in our veins and our hopes and all these things in this image. And he says, so let's build bridges to each other. And I think you see Paul saying the same thing, and you see it here if you look in verse 28 to 31 and he says remember he's talking to the leaders in the church and he's reminding them and he's telling them and look what he says he says pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the holy spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of god which he obtained with his own blood and i know that after my departure fierce wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock and from among you will rise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish anyone with tears. And so you start to see this picture of guarding and caring for one another. And it's not just that we love one another and people know us by our love, but we also help one another and being filled with the spirit. When we start to see that Christ is more valuable and we want to follow him, we welcome people saying, help me, help me to do this, to follow Christ See, the moment we put our faith in Jesus, we get Jesus's righteousness imputed, given to us. It's a gift, but we've still got all this mess, all this baggage that's there. And we need help. We need help to walk after him and to really love one another and to care for one another. And so the picture that Paul talks about here is that we need to do that and we need to be helping one another and and walking together. You see that in verse 30 when he says, uh, there will arise those that speak twisted things and draw people away and start to erode your your confidence in who God is. And as I was th- thinking about that, you know, there's so many lies that sleep, seep in to the church. Satan uses all different things. The enemy comes at you and he tells you things like that you can never be forgiven for that. 
or you're a failure because you struggle with this sin or that sin or somebody that came from your background can never be forgiven. And he bombards you with those lies. And we need each other to step in and say that lie is from the pit of hell. And it's not true that you are forgiven in Christ and he gives it to you as a free gift and you can rest in it and you can repent and you can have victory over your sin because of who Jesus is and what he did. And we need each other to say that over and over because it's so easy to start to slip into that. And what it tells us and what scriptures we're not made to do it by ourselves. It's not even the way we were designed. You're not supposed to go it alone and I'll just get this myself. He says, no, that's that's not how that's why God said it's not good for man to be alone. And, and we need relationships and we need one another. And so I want us to make sure we see that picture that's here and, and what happens when we really start to get that. Look at verses 36 and 37. Look at how this ends. Paul tells them all these wonderful things and he's telling them and he's saying goodbye to them. And then in verse 36, it said, and when he had said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all and they embraced Paul and they kissed him. And so what you see is, is when that happens, they start to love one another. They start to do what Jesus said would happen. They'll love one another. You'll know my disciples because they will be weeping and praying and holding each other and loving each other. And you'll see it flowing out. And so the picture that comes here is that that we need to be loving and in the community and helping one another to really reflect back what God's doing and who he is. And so first we have we proclaim the gospel and second we 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 get together and we help one another and we love one another. But then I want us to see what happens after that, because as we start to see that and as we're helping and as we're declaring and, and testifying, something wonderful happens. And look at what Paul just telling us as you see it there kind of in the background here is how he talks in verse 20, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, teaching to you in public. And from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks, the repentance towards God and a faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the picture that Paul is showing us and you see this all throughout Acts is it's not just telling each other. It's not just it's going out and telling anyone and everyone and being pushed out. Right. He says, notice what he said. He says, I go in public and from house to house, not just one or the other. He said, I go and declare it in public and I I declare it to the Jews and to the Greeks, the religious and the irreligious, all people. He says, that's what I'm doing. I'm going out. And when you start to read in what Paul's saying and you see it here, you see him talking about in verse 18, I set foot in Asia and then he's talking about going back to Jerusalem. And if you know anything about Paul's life, you know, he ended up in Rome and and he went to Greece and he went all over everywhere, anywhere and everywhere where people hadn't heard the gospel. Paul was going and you see that all throughout Acts. And that's how the, the word spreads. It starts in Jerusalem and then Judea until the ends of the earth. And even that's the way Acts is set up. It starts in Jerusalem and it works its way out, just concentric circles going further and further as the gospel goes out. And so you see that all the way through. Spirit filled following Christ means that we're going to go to different hard places. And I want you to think about that. We often say and we often pray and talk about, I want to see God moving and I want to see revival and I want to see these things. And so I just just want you to think about this this morning that there, uh, for example, in Yemen, northern Yemen, there's a nine million people and there's about 30 Christians. 
It's about this section right here out of nine million people in Yemen. And so when we pray that prayer, I want to see God move and people come to faith and see those things. Have you considered maybe just maybe God is calling you to North Yemen? And when I say you, I mean you. If you can hear me, I'm talking to you. God may be calling you to go to Yemen. That's, that's what it looks like when people get swept up in who God is and what he's doing. They start to go to hard places. That's what Paul did everywhere. I'm called here. I'm going. And you see that over and over. I was, I was rereading this week. I love just to go back and reread. If you've ever read the Fox book of martyrs and it just tells of so many martyrs, people that have died for their faith through the years. Well, the first few pages are just the original 12 for 11 minus Judas. And then a few other of the apostles, Paul and Luke and Mark. And, and you start to read what happened. And as you read through there, what you get is, is these men who are from small towns in the middle of the Middle East there from nothing towns who followed Jesus. And what you read is uh, they died in Turkey and in Greece and in Italy and in Ethiopia and in India and in Britain all over nowhere near where they grew up or where they came from. And so what becomes real apparent is those that spent three years following Jesus everywhere took him at his word, take the gospels to all people and all nations. So that's what they did. They went everywhere. They went all over. And as you read on what you see with all of them, with the exception of one, is they died terrible, violent deaths to do so. And they went all over to all those places. And you see this beautiful picture of what it means to follow Christ. It means to go out. It's to proclaim and then to love one another, but then to be sent and to go out to hard places and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. And so that's the third one. And then we're going to get to the very last one, just the, the, the motivation of all of this that makes all this happen. Look at verses 21 to 25 again with me is what Paul says. And so he's telling us to testify to the Jews and the Greeks, and he's, he's clearly presenting uh, the gospel. And then in verse 22, and now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I've gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Do you see what Paul's saying? He said, I'm going and all I know that's coming is there's going to be afflictions, imprisonment and terrible things. And I don't care. Because Christ is so much greater than any of that. And then he says, and by the way, I won't see you again because I'm going to die doing this. And that's good. That's what Paul says. That's what he tells him. And so when we think about how change comes and how the gospel goes out and what happens, here's Paul with these people that he loves and he planted this church and he spent three years with them and just agonizing over them and teaching and praying for them. And then he says, and Sorry, I got to see you later now because God's calling me to go somewhere else. I'm going to die for this. And so the picture that starts to come, the last part, the motivation of this is, is Christ greater than everything else that you would die for it. Right? That's what Paul's saying. 
He says, yes, I would, and I'll do it gladly. And so when you start to see that happening, that's when things happen. That's how change comes when the people of God get so excited that they're going to step up and clearly proclaim the gospel and loving each other and caring and then going out and just telling wherever God leads. I was thinking about uh, a song that I, that I really like. There's just one line in the middle of it. The name of the song is Moment of Surrender. And it says, at the moment of surrender, when vision over visibility and what the, what the guy's talking about is, is when we see the vision of what is to come, what's greater, is greater than what's right in front of us, what we can see. And what he's actually saying is the same thing that Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. He says, do not lose hope. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal way to glory beyond all comparison. As we look to the things that are uh, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, right? The vision over the visibility for the things we have seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And so when we start to see God's glory over what's right in front of us, we're willing to go and go even to lay our lives down for the sake of the gospel. And that's what Paul says. And that's what he sees. And, and Paul saying this light momentary affliction, you know, he's talking about. Being stoned and beaten and thrown in jail and being left for dead. And he says, that's that is a light momentary affliction. And so you see this picture of those that are willing to go forth and to die. And as we think about that, as we end this morning, uh, uh, Chris and I uh, went to a conference a while back and we listened to uh, David Platt. And he talked about missions and he has such a heart for missions and what it means to die and be willing to go and die. And he told a story of a man named Joseph Sohn in Romania. And, and Sohn was a pastor there who had been beaten and, and jailed and interrogated and, and over and over just mercilessly per, uh, persecuted for his faith. And, and I want to read to you just what he says, what Sohn says in this, this wonderful picture as he's been beaten and in jail for a long time and what he says to his interrogator. He finally said to them one day, your supreme weapon is killing and my supreme weapon is dying. And here's how it works. You know, my sermons on tape have spread all over the country. And if you kill me, those sermons will be sprinkled with my blood. Everyone will know that I died for my preaching and everyone who has a tape will pick it up and say, I better listen again to what this man preached because he really meant it. He sealed it with his life. So, sir, my sermons will speak ten times louder than before, and I will actually rejoice in the supreme victory if you kill me. After I said this, the interrogator sent me home. Another pastor friend of mine told me that an interrogator told him just a few days later, we know that Mr. Sohn would love to be a martyr, but we are not that foolish to fulfill his wish. I stopped to consider the meaning of that statement and thought about how for many, many years I'd been afraid of dying and I'd kept a low profile because I'd wanted so badly to live that I'd wasted my life in inactivity. But now that I'd placed my life on the altar and decided I was ready to die for the gospel, they were telling me they wouldn't kill me. I could go anywhere in the country and preach the gospel and know that I was safe. As long as I was trying to save my life, I was losing it. And now that I was willing to lose it, I had found it. 
And so the picture that comes is when we're willing to die for the sake of the gospel, things happen. God is honored and he moves through that and he begins to see. And so as we just end this morning, I want you to think about that. What do you have to lose? The worst that can possibly happen is someone could take your life for proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. What better way to die? And death itself doesn't matter anyway because you'll spend eternity with him. And so this picture of of what it means to follow him. And so as we get so caught up in what's going on in the world and elections and all the things pressing down. And here's the biblical picture of what it means for real change to happen. As you go out and you proclaim the gospel above all else. And God is honored and his church grows and that's when things happen. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we, we thank you for the truth of your word. That you simply tell us just to be obedient and to, to open our mouths and to proclaim what you've done and that you'll do the rest. And so we pray that we would do that, that you would work in us, that we would be so excited to go forth and to proclaim your word and to tell it. Uh, pray this morning that if there's any here that, that you may be calling to go to some of those hard places, that, that you would light that fire in their hearts, that you would begin to show them And prompt them that we would be a church that's quick to identify that and to fan that flame and send people out that your gospel can go to all the corners of the earth. We thank you for what you've done for us. We pray that we always will be a people that is quick to proclaim, to make emphatic affirmations of who you are and what you've done. We pray all these things in Jesus name. Amen.